You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Everything that I knew, I didn't know anymore. That defense mode. We're survivors. Like... But they're probably not the questions that you want answered. So, yeah, writing them down for us is important because of our chemo brain. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia, and I'm Lizette. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode about cancer and insurance. We are very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode. Her name is Monica Bryant, and she is the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder over at Triage Cancer. Um, for those who don't know, Triage Cancer is a national nonprofit organization that provides information and resources on cancer survivorship issues. So we're very excited to be jumping in and speaking with her today. Monica, thank you again for speaking with us. For our listeners who may not be familiar with who you are, please share a little about your yourself and your connection to triage cancer. Well, thanks so much for having me uh, here today. I am Chief Operating Officer and co-founder of Triage Cancer. We're a nonprofit that is dedicated, as you mentioned, to providing information and resources on all types of cancer survivorship issues. And we do that in three main ways. So we host a speakers bureau that's available to anyone who might be putting on an educational event nationwide. And the idea behind it is really that individuals don't have to try to find experts in various cancer survivorship topics. They can come to us and we will match them with the most appropriate individual. And then we also host and participate in educational events all over the country. And we do that for patients, survivors, caregivers, and healthcare professionals. Our kind of signature events are our conferences, our regional conferences. We do three of those a year. Um, we also do trainings for healthcare professionals. And then finally, we have a plethora of online resources, quick guides that are designed to be snapshots of a particular topic, because when it comes down to it, all of these topics are very involved and complicated and in-depth, and so we want to give people a starting point um, that's you know easy to digest, that they can just print off online, and it's great for healthcare professionals as well who might want to use it as resources for their patients. And then finally, we host an educational blog where we do our best not just to give information, but to really try to digest it for individuals so that they understand what the impact for the cancer community is. So you mentioned conferences. I know that LLS, we have a lot of members um, and staff that attend those conferences, you know, for a number of years and learn so much from them. And, you know, one of them being the topic of insurance and it being, you know, a topic that a lot of people don't understand. So what are the resources or how do you provide the information to cancer patients to navigate insurance? It's so true. Insurance is like learning a new language and you literally have to learn a new <laughs> language to try to understand what's in your policy. And 
I mean, there are statistics out there that, you know, over half of the people who are given insurance through their employers don't actually know what they're paying monthly to have that insurance. So for those of you out there listening, if you don't understand your insurance policy, you are certainly not alone. Um, but triage cancer does have some resources to help change that. So one of our um, recently launched projects is called cancerfinances.org, and it's an online resource where people can go and answer a few simple questions, and depending on how they answer those questions, it gives them targeted information. So we kind of call it the choose-your-own-adventure model, for those of you old enough to remember those books. Uh, <laughs> But currently we have modules on health insurance and disability insurance and financial assistance. And we're adding new modules all along because the reality is, is that there's so many people that need help with this stuff and there just aren't enough organizations out there to help each individual person. So cancer finances is sort of the next best thing to getting, you know, one-on-one -on -one sitting in front of a person assistance. Um, I'd also say, you know, we host webinars about understanding health insurance. In fact, uh, in October, we're hosting one of my personal favorites, which is uh, how to pick a health insurance plan, because I think so many of us, you know, we may have options, whether it's through an employer offering us more than one plan, or we're purchasing plans in the marketplace, or individuals who have Medicare have different options. And sometimes it can kind of feel daunting to try to figure out, which plan should I actually choose? Which plan is best for me? So in that webinar, we kind of go step by step about the different things people should be looking for and uh, kind of go through the math about trying to figure out how to determine how much a plan will actually cost you. So I mean, I think when it comes down to health insurance, understanding the basics is so important. And then I think not being afraid to ask questions. Sure. And a lot of right. people actually don't feel that they have um, options right now. Uh, we get a lot of calls into our information specialists and it's great that people can pick an insurance plan, but some people feel that they don't even have an option at this point. And um, I, I guess right now during the transition of power, um, we don't always know what to say to, to patients as to um, what they can choose, what they can do right now to maintain coverage or to obtain coverage. Is that an issue that um, you're dealing with there too? Certainly. Not a day goes by where I don't talk about health insurance. Uh, and I think, <laughs> you know, one great piece of news is that nothing has actually changed. Okay. So my advice to most people is to certainly keep abreast of what's happening in Washington, D.C. and in Congress and with our current administration. But for now, nothing has changed. The Affordable Care Act is still the law of the land and the marketplaces still exist in uh, most places in the United States. In fact, this morning I just read a report from the Kaiser Family Foundation that said there's only one county in the entire country that doesn't have an option for health insurance in the marketplaces. So okay. I do understand people's frustrations and that there, there might not be as much choice as they would like, but at least there is some choice. Um, also, I think people forget that, that you know, there are, there are multiple ways now for us to access health insurance. So to, it's important for us to look at all of our options. So maybe if the individual is a young adult under 26, can they join their parents' health insurance plan? Could they go on a spouse's plan? 
purchasing in the marketplaces. Um, certainly for individuals who have lower incomes, maybe Medicaid is an option for them. Sure. So, I mean, I, again, I definitely understand people's frustration in them wanting more choice. I think that's, for most Americans, we always want more choice. Um, right. But I do think that the, the thing I try to focus on is things are certainly better for the cancer community post-Affordable Care Act, and we still have the Affordable Care Act as the law. That is good to know. Thank you. And there are no differences now for eligibility for insurance? So the eligibility requirements have stayed the same. So in order to buy insurance in the marketplace, individuals have to be uh, U.S. citizens or lawfully present to purchase mar marketplace plans. Um, and then there hasn't also been any changes in terms of the financial assistance. And so a lot of people will say, well, why do I have to purchase in these marketplaces? Why can't I just go buy insurance? And certainly someone could just go to a health insurance company and buy a policy. The difference is for people who purchase through the Affordable Care Act marketplaces, they will be eligible, depending on their um, household size and income level, they may be eligible for financial assistance. And there's two types of financial assistance. So there's a premium tax credit, which will reduce the amount that people pay monthly to just have health insurance. And then there's another type of financial assistance called cost-sharing subsidies. And that helps with costs like co-payments and deductibles and co-insurance. And or this year, I'm sorry, in 2017, 84% uh, of all of the people who purchased plans through the marketplace got a tax credit to help with those premiums. Wow. And about half got help paying for those other costs the deductibles and the co-payments. So a huge number of people are getting financial assistance through the marketplaces. And I think that that's a really important thing for people to understand when they're trying to figure out where to go to purchase insurance. Sure. And a lot of our folks um, with blood cancers are older. Uh, so a lot of people do have Medicare mm -hmm. um, and they always have questions as to whether they need a supplement, especially with a cancer diagnosis, can they get a cancer uh, a supplement um, with a cancer diagnosis? And um, what other things they should do just to cover all of the additional costs that their cancer brings about? So, um, how much time do we have on this podcast? Because <laughs> We could spend a lot of time talking about <laughs> Medicare. Uh, Medicare is so complicated. And I think a lot of times um, seniors and individuals with disabilities are thrown into this Medicare maze without a huge amount of guidance. Um, I will say for the sake of time, Triage Cancer does have a webinar on the Medicare maze where we spend a whole hour mm -hmm. going step by step through the different parts of Medicare and how all of the different plans work together. But I do think it's very important. We're coming up on open enrollment. Um, open enrollment starts October uh, 15th for Medicare and goes through December 7th. And that's the time in which new enrollees can pick plans or when people who already have Medicare can change their plans. Okay. So it's a really that this is a very important time in the year for individuals who are on Medicare because just because you had one plan last year doesn't mean you have to keep that plan moving forward. And I do think that there there are options for some folks um, who might be trying to figure out do I need to buy a supplemental plan or maybe I choose 
uh, a Medicare Advantage plan, which may cover things differently. Um, I will say that there are um, entities out there that can help individuals one-on-one -on -one decide what their best options are, and you can find that information on Triage Cancer's website, which is just triagecancer.org. So for people who are trying to figure out they need to buy a supplemental plan or not, that might be a great option. Um, you know, insurance brokers may not be the best place for people to access that kind of advice because certainly they have um, their own motivations. So going to some of these nonprofits or uh, government funded entities might be a great option for people trying to figure out what their options are. Great, thank you. And in regards to getting organized, I know that we receive calls, you know, with someone who was diagnosed and they're calling on behalf of themselves or a family member or friend and they say, okay, who do I talk to about the financial aspect of this diagnosis? So what would you suggest for them to do at that moment when they are getting organized and preparing their short-term plan regarding their finances? Fantastic question. And I wish that more individuals asked it early on. Um, but the reality is, is that when someone hears you have cancer, money isn't usually the first thing they think of, which is perfectly reasonable. But we also know that the financial burden in this new term that we're all using, financial toxicity of cancer, has a huge impact on quality of life for individuals. Having a conversation with your healthcare providers is one of the most important things that I think patients can do right off the bat. We're in a situation now where there may be multiple treatment options for people. And if someone brings up the financial aspects, a healthcare provider now has more information and may be able to make a different treatment decision, let's say that might be covered by their particular insurance policy. Or maybe it's a treatment decision that would mean that an individual could keep working as opposed to having to take off an extended period of time. And then that would change somebody's financial treatment. So for example, maybe oral chemo might be better than IV chemo for that particular person. And while we would never want someone to have a less effective form of treatment for financial reasons, if you never have the conversation, the healthcare team isn't operating with all of the information. That is a great point. And you mentioned options and something that you've made clear along, you know, during this podcast is that patients do have options. Options do exist. And so one of those options being case managers. Now, we received a question on our social platform called LLS Community. And one of the questions was, should I request a case manager from the insurance company? Now, is that something that you think is a great idea? Is that something that is available to everyone? What are your thoughts on that? In the broadest terms possible, I would say getting all the help you can get is always going to be a good thing. Um, I would Two things that I want to say about that. First, not every health insurance policy or company is going to offer the service of a case manager. So that's not something that's going to be available to everybody. But if it is, certainly accessing that assistance might be helpful because what it allows is you're dealing with one person along the way at a company as opposed to just calling that general number and you get whoever happens to pick up the phone and you might have to tell your story or talk about the situation a hundred times before you get an answer. So that is one benefit to the case manager model. The other caveat to this is you have to remember that the case managers will still be working for the health insurance company. 
So just keeping that in mind that it's not, I mean, certainly they'll, they'll be working to help you, but their main responsibility is to their employer, which is the health insurance company. Right. And for many young adults, they have concerns that may differ from other patients and other age groups, and they need to make difficult decisions, whether they're, whether they're in high school or college or living on their own, or they might also live far away from their families and they worry about having insurance or not having insurance or staying insured. What are suggestions that you have for young adults that may be dealing with the issue of insurance after a cancer diagnosis? It's so true. I mean, young adults are definitely put in a challenging position for a whole host of reasons, some of which you mentioned, but also many young adults don't have the savings that older individuals might have. They don't necessarily have the support systems that um, people a little further along in life might have. Um, Their jobs may not be offering health insurance, or they may not yet be in a career where they have the ability to take time off and access different laws. So certainly for young adults, there are, there are a whole host of additional challenges that they have to deal with. And I, but I think that the advice is still the same. Make sure that you're getting all of the information. Understand how health insurance works. Talk with your healthcare providers so that you understand or they understand what, tr- what their treatment is going to look like, what things may or may not be covered by their health insurance policy, what financial assistance options might be available to them. Um, I, I think that a lot of times uh, young adults are quick to go to social media for support. And um, that's generally something that uh, we say, you know, take a beat, think about it, because the concept of disclosure is very important to us, that people are making educated decisions around disclosing their cancer diagnosis, because there may be long-ranging ramifications for disclosing their cancer diagnosis. But coming back to health insurance specifically, I think the great news is under the Affordable Care Act now, young adults under the age of 26 have one additional option, which is that they can stay or go back to their parents' health insurance plan. This is a very important thing. We saw over three and a half million young adults now get health insurance access that didn't have it before the Affordable Care Act. So that's pretty significant. Um, I'd also just say again, the, the importance of having the conversation. Many of us feel uncomfortable talking about money, but it is so important to have the conversations because there may be resources out there that you're never going to find out about unless you have the conversation. And I know that we're focusing on insurance, um, but you brought up a good point that it may impact someone, especially a young adult that may be starting on their career path to um, let their employers know about their cancer diagnosis. Is that something that young adults have to do? Um, Is it something where legally you have to disclose your cancer diagnosis to your employer? So this this conversation is really much more wide-ranging than just young adults. This is really applicable to anyone in that under the law, you're not required to disclose your cancer diagnosis. There may be some benefits to disclosing some information about your medical situation. So for example, if you are trying to access protections under the Americans with Disabilities Act or access leave under the Family Medical Leave Act, employers are entitled to know something about your medical condition so that they can 
certify that you're in fact eligible for those protections. You don't necessarily have to disclose the exact diagnosis or the details around it. And for some people, keeping that information private is very, very important to them. Sure. And in a place yeah. in life where so much of your power and control is taken away from you, we try to really empower individuals to know that deciding to disclose or not, whether it be on social media, to friends and family, to an employer, that's a choice. And so, sure. yeah, and that's that's very important to us. And in, and in fact, we have a quick guide that's dedicated to this concept of disclosure and privacy and medical certification. It's an introduction to this concept of why you may or may not want to disclose. Um, okay. Certainly, you know, certainly not disclosing is not going to feel right to a lot of people. This is a huge life-changing situation. Of course, I would disclose. But again, it's about having all of the information and making an educated decision around it. Um, and then understanding what exactly it is that you would benefit from disclosing if you chose to do so. That there are laws out there that you may benefit from. Sure. Exactly. Thank you. What do you do if you're uninsured and all of a sudden you get a cancer diagnosis? Which basically you probably went in through a emergency room of a hospital. Yeah. So this is this is really challenging. And this is one of the things that the Affordable Care Act at its core tried to address to get more people insured because we have data, we have evidence that shows there's a direct correlation between having health insurance and better outcomes. Unfortunately, the reality is that the Affordable Care Act is not a perfect law. In fact, no such thing exists. And one of the ways in which the Affordable Care Act falls short is that it really still leaves many people living in this country without health insurance. So the wonderful thing is that there are organizations out there like LLS that offer financial assistance help to individuals who don't have health insurance. There are um, community clinics and hospitals that provide charity care um, for individuals who may not have health insurance but have lower incomes and qualify in their states. Perhaps they can access Medicaid, which is one of the two federal health insurance programs uh, available, one of two. And it's for individuals, particularly with lower incomes. Is it true that um, most people in the United States have either Medicaid or Medicare to cover them more so than private insurance? Of Americans, there is a vast, well, I shouldn't say vast majority, a majority of Americans receive their health insurance through Medicare or Medicaid. That is correct. Monica, looking at your website, triagecancer.org, I see that there is a mention about clinical trials. And here at LLS, that is something that we speak very highly of and educate our patients about because many times clinical trials are only seen as a last option. And it should be seen as a very viable option for treatment, you know, period. So when it comes to insurance, finances, and now the introduction of clinical trials into a patient treatment plan, what are your thoughts about that? Is that a conversation that they should have with their healthcare team? So clinical trials are so important to the cancer community. In fact, we wouldn't have any of the treatments that we have today if it weren't for clinical trials. But there is still a lot of misconceptions about clinical trials and fear around participating in clinical trials. I mean, we mm -hmm. are still hearing, even from healthcare professionals that we train around the country, 
we are still hearing that there is belief that if you enter a clinical trial, you could get a sugar pill as opposed to actual cancer treatment. And that's just not the way that cancer clinical trials work. By participating in a clinical trial, you'll still get at a minimum the standard of care. But most clinical trials are testing standard of care plus something else. And so clinical trials are a wonderful way for individuals who um, might be looking for an alternative treatment or might be looking to uh, get some help with the financial aspects of treatment to participate. And I, I think that having the conversation with your healthcare teams about is there a clinical trial in existence that might that I might be eligible for that might benefit me is a great conversation to have. Because I look at it like, what's the worst they could say? No, there isn't a clinical trial for you. And then you move on with the treatment plan that was decided on. But if you never ask the question, you may be missing out on some additional information. In terms sure. of costs specifically, what we were seeing happening in the past, and by the past I mean pre-Affordable Care Act, was that some health insurance companies would say, Oh, well, you're, you know, you're participating in a clinical trial. We are now not responsible for paying for any of your healthcare costs. And that would put people in a really challenging financial situation. What the Affordable Care Act said, and some state laws already had this, but the Affordable Care Act made it across the country. It said that even if someone is participating in a clinical trial, the insurance company still has to pay for the routine costs associated with somebody's care. So for example, let's say that the routine care that someone would receive included um, you know, three of a particular lab tests a year, but the clinical trial wanted you to get six a year. The insurance company would still have to cover the three that they would have covered if that person was never in a clinical trial. And then typically the clinical trial will cover those additional three that they're looking for and that they're testing. So very important for people to know that, that they're not going to get uh, penalized, so to speak, for participating in these clinical trials. And you actually touched upon a good point in regards to cancer treatment costs and medication. Um, I know that there's a lot of questions about, all right, I'm in treatment and now there's generic versus branded and, you know, all that, all those conversations surrounding a cost for medication. What's your, what's your, your take or your suggestion about those who may have difficulty paying for their prescribed medications? So I'm gonna even take one step back and say the most important thing that people can do is make sure that they have an adequate health insurance policy. And that starts in open enrollment. So making sure that people are looking at a particular formulary and understanding what drugs may or may not be covered under a prescription drug plan for an insurance policy. Now certainly it's not perfect for everybody. People don't always get diagnosed where they can then make those kinds of decisions. But if someone is in active treatment now and their drugs aren't being covered, guess what? Open enrollment is coming up and we may have some additional choices and options for people. Now, if someone has a policy that isn't covering a particular drug, um, again, there are some uh, programs out there to help pay for prescription drugs. All of the pharmaceutical companies have wonderful financial assistance programs. There's usually an application that somebody has to fill out to explain why they're having difficulty covering a particular drug. Um, and then if they're approved, those pharmaceutical companies will give them the drug at either, you know, greatly reduced cost or sometimes even for free, depending on the situation. So that's certainly one option. And if someone is in that situation and can't quite navigate 
the process, if you go to cancerfinances.org and click on I need financial assistance, it takes you down the line and we have some resources there that will guide people to various entities that can help them fill out these pharmaceutical company um, financial assistance program applications. Um, so it's very, very important for people to understand that there are options out there. None of them are perfect. People may have to start thinking creatively as well. A couple weeks ago, I was chatting with someone and she was talking about the fact that she couldn't pay for her drug, but she didn't qualify for these particular programs. And so we were sort of kept talking, kept talking, kept talking. And she said to me, she's like, yeah, she's, I have money for my mortgage. I have money for my utility bills. I have money for my groceries. And I said, well, wait a minute. Maybe you can qualify for help getting utility assistance and the money that you have saved for your gas bill can go to help pay for your prescription drugs. And she looked at me like I had two heads. She had never thought of that before. Sometimes we get a little bit of tunnel vision when it comes to this. And it's right. completely understandable. This is so overwhelming and you're dealing with issues sometimes of mortality and to try to figure out how to pay for it, to pay for treatment is one extra mm -hmm. thing. So I, I really try to urge people to think creatively about the different financial assistance options that are out there and can you move the money that you may have around to try to cover everything that you need. That's great. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of people, and I, I know that I didn't know this um, when I was a young adult, um, but I didn't know that you could actually appeal insurance denials. I would get insurance denials, and um, I guess I, I would just pay for it. I didn't know that I could actually appeal an insurance denial. Yes. Do not take no for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it's very important for our cancer patients because um, these denials are, are for larger items. They, it's not just maybe medication, but it may be for testing that patients truly need, diagnostics. Absolutely. And we see denials for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes it's as simple as a coding error. So someone wrote down the wrong code and so the insurance company denies it. Sometimes it's about the fact that a particular treatment is considered experimental. And this happens a lot in the cancer context. Um, it's also known as off-label drug use. So for example, if a drug has been approved to be a and I'm making this up, a lung cancer drug, but then some studies have shown it being really useful in, um, you know, a blood cancer, and your doctor prescribes it for your blood cancer, the insurance company might say, well, this is a lung cancer drug, you don't have lung cancer, it's off-label, we're denying you. And so you, you can then use the appeals process to submit additional documentation and evidence and information from your healthcare team to show the health insurance company why they should in fact cover it. And every insurance company has something called an internal appeals process. And when you get that claim denial, you know, usually it's like five pages of paper in the mail and it looks like another language. Somewhere in all of that, <laughs> will should be information about how to appeal the claim. And it's really critical for folks to keep an eye on that because there's deadlines that they have to meet. Um, and then they, there also may be specific things that the insurance company requires that they submit certain documentations, a form, whatever it is, you wanna make sure you're following those rules. And then if you go through the entire internal appeals process and the insurance company still says, no, we're not covering it, Thanks to the Affordable Care Act, every state has an external appeals process. 
which is also called an independent medical review. And this is a third party entity that's not related to the insurance company that will look at all of the documentation and the policy and make a decision as to whether or not the insurance company should pay for the claim. And we actually have studies that somewhere between 39 to 59% of all appeals are won. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of opportunity for people to get their claims covered, um, at least partially, where, you know, if, if like Lizette, you don't even know you have that right, which why would you know that? Um, <laughs> unless you do this for a living, why would you know that? You may be stuck with huge medical bills. And as I talked about earlier, it's not just about the money. We know that the financial stress and the financial toxicity has an impact on somebody's quality of life, stress levels, anxiety, and then that translates into somebody's physical health as well. Sure. A lot of cancer patients don't even realize that they do have as part of their treatment team a social worker or a nurse who can actually help them with these appeals, as well as contacting triagecancer.org or contacting us and speaking with an information specialist to help guide them to see who can help them with some of these denials. Absolutely. It is so imperative to enlist the help of your healthcare team and thinking broadly, like you just mentioned, Lizette, about your healthcare team, who, who actually is in your healthcare team can include much more than just your physician or your nurse. Um, because there could be social workers, there could be case managers, there could be um, financial navigators, depending on where you're receiving treatment. Look to these fantastic organizations that are dedicated to helping patients get through all of this, um, sort of the least, least scathed as possible, uh, because it is so critical to use the system to your advantage. Sure. And if it's right. almost, you know, up to 59%, then it, it's definitely worth it. Definitely is, because a lot of patients are talking to us about um, spending their money on medication rather than their groceries. Mm -hmm. So, Monica, what you're saying is very real. Very real. Just as a side note, I was speaking sort of broadly about private health insurance plans, but it's important for people to know that if you have an employer-sponsored plan or Medicare or Medicaid or even Veterans Health, all of those different types of insurance have appeals processes in place. Good to know. I think the information you're sharing is very, very important. I think that once people hear insurance or, you know, their diagnosis, they automatically start thinking about everything that they've ever heard about those two things. And whether it be something they heard from a friend or read or headlines, you know, those those become very much a part of their thinking. And so with one of those things comes the issue of pre-existing conditions. Some people hear it, they it seems pretty self-explanatory, but then they don't actually know the details you know, of it. So can you clear up any confusion or can you explain what that is and how that may affect someone's um, diagnosis and what's available to them insurance-wise? Absolutely. The current law that we have is under the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. It's the same thing, just two different names for it. Insurance companies are no longer allowed to deny selling somebody a policy because they have a pre-existing condition like cancer, and they can't charge them more. And it's really important for people to keep those two pieces connected, because if we start to separate them, which has been proposed in some of the recent 
uh, legislative proposals, then what ends up happening is we may have a law that says you can't be denied purchasing insurance because you have a pre-existing condition, but there's no limit on how much you can be charged for it. And being able to get insurance that you can't afford is equal to not being able to get insurance. And so right. we really want people to keep those two pieces connected. And that is sort of one thing that I've been um, disappointed with some of the uh, media coverage that's been occurring in the last several months. And it's really not their fault. This is complicated. And to try to explain this in a two minute news segment or in a, you know, one inch long newspaper column is impossible. But I really want the cancer community to understand that we have to keep those two pieces together. That individuals can't be denied based on a pre-existing condition and they can't be charged more based on a pre-existing condition. So that, I mean, I think that that's such an important piece to this. And while uh, recent attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act have failed, we never know what's going to happen in the future. And so I was so impressed with the cancer community's advocacy over the last few months in contacting elected officials and really making sure that elected officials understood the real life implications of some of the proposals, it worked because we still have the Affordable Care Act. And again, I don't think it's a perfect law, but I certainly think it has improved things for the cancer community leaps and bounds. And so Moving forward, I think it's important for people to keep talking with their elected officials, keep talking with friends and families so that they understand that this really shouldn't be about politics and that it really should be about good policy. And as we've talked about, having insurance coverage leads to better health outcomes. And ultimately, that's what we're all working towards. And I know a lot of patients, um, they bring up the, the pre-existing condition to us, the, those questions. Um, they've also brought up to us the issue of um, insurances may have a like a lifetime cap on what they can pay out. And for cancer patients, um, that could be very high. Treatments are more and more expensive every day. So having a lifetime cap on what your insurance could pay, um, somebody can can tap that out in, in half a year sometimes um, with a blood cancer. Yeah, so it was common health insurance industry practice to impose either lifetime limits, like you mentioned, or even annual limits on the dollar dollars that a policy would pay out. Affordable Care Act said that insurance companies can no longer do that on right. something called essential health benefits. And essential health benefits are 10 categories of things that most of us think our health insurance policy should cover. ER <laughs> care, prescription drugs, ambulatory care, you know, seeing your doctor, those are essential health benefits. And so after the Affordable Care Act, insurance companies can no longer place these annual or lifetime dollar limits on what they pay out for somebody's health care. So everything that you guys are talking about are the details that were left out in a lot of the discussions around repeal and replace of the Affordable Care Act. And if you ask me, the devil's in the details. That's what they keep saying, but <laughs> we, don't, we don't know all the details yet. So. <laughs> 
um, you know, we'll figure it out. But at the same time, it's good that you're letting us know that right now there are no um, changes and all of these still stand. Absolutely. So that's, that's comforting for our cancer patients. Absolutely. And, and really, for people who are concerned about things changing, it's so important to be talking with their elected officials, because I think we saw how important grassroots advocacy really is in the last few months in that prior to this administration, many of the uh, U.S. senators and Congress people uh, were saying that we should just repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. But when push came to shove, their votes didn't reflect that because I think they really heard from constituents what that means to real lives. Sure. So Monica, for the person that's listening right now and they're saying to themselves, I'm still worried. I have no idea what to do. As a recap, what would you say to them to help instill hope and appease that fear of bills piling up, insurance being complex, and just uncertainty? What would you tell them? First of all, get informed. So watch the Triage Cancer webinar in October on how to pick a policy. Make sure you are picking the most appropriate policy for you and your family come open enrollment. Um, You know, this year, open enrollment for the marketplaces is significantly shorter than it has been in the past. It's only from November 1st to December 15th. And if you don't purchase a plan within open enrollment and you don't have any sort of life-changing event like losing your job, you can't get health insurance for the rest of the year. And that's true for employer-sponsored plans or Medicare or a marketplace plan. So getting informed, making sure you're paying attention to this upcoming open enrollment. And then I think using your voice is very important, however that might be, whether that's you know, talking to your elected officials or just chatting with your friends and family so they understand what all of this means and that you don't necessarily have to disclose all of the details of your particular diagnosis or your experience to be an advocate, that you can still do that and explain to, let's say, elected officials why th- these issues are so important without necessarily um, disclosing your personal involvement. So recap, get informed, make the best choices for you and your family, come open enrollment, and use your voice. Thank you. This is Monica Bryant from Triage Cancer, which is www.triagecancer.org.org. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.